So what's really at stake in the 2020 elections? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today on The Line of Fire. We are going to have a lively, eye-opening broadcast. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. The bottom of the hour, I am going to be joined by journalist, author, Christian media leader Stephen Strang. We're going to talk about his brand new book just released yesterday. Here's the title, God Trump the 2020 election, why he must win, and what's at stake for Christians if he loses. We're going to talk to him about that title, why he feels so strongly. Some of you right now might be saying he's absolutely right. That's true. It's Trump or else. As one pastor said to me a couple of days ago, what's plan B? If it's not Trump, who else is going to be elected? Radical, liberal, leftists, and what are they going to do to the country? Others say, you don't understand. The Trump presidency is doing more harm than good. And and the more Christians identify with him, the more it hurts our cause long term. How do we sort this out? Warren Smith, colleague, conservative Christian journalist, wrote this. The real story of Trump's presidency will not be written till he is out of office. This was an email exchange with some other conservative leaders. The real story of Trump's presidency will not be written until he's out of office. And we learn whether Trump delivered us from our four years of Hillary Clinton, or perhaps eight years of a radical leftist, or whether he doomed conservatives to 40 years in the political wilderness. In other words, has electing Trump helped the Christian cause long-term or hurt it long-term? Has it done short-term good but long-term damage? So I I imagine this dialogue, and see where you fit on this. See if you agree with how I'm representing these positions, and see where you fall in the spectrum. All right, so uh, evangelical supporter of Trump would say this. So look, he's rough around the edges. He offends people. He exaggerates, sometimes even lies. What politician doesn't lie? But he's a fighter. He's fearless. He's pushing back against forces that want to destroy our nation. In fact, He's done more for evangelical causes in a few years than other presidents did in two full terms. I'll vote for Trump any day of the week. Some of you might say, yeah, that's me. Well, maybe you're an evangelical detractor of Trump. You respond with this. Yes, he's done a lot of good, but at what cost? Forget about his past immorality and godlessness. That's not the issue. The man's dangerous. He's dragged down the office of the president. (laughs) He's been abusive and divisive. He's, He's brought out the worst in us as a people. And to the extent we make excuses for his behavior, we bring reproach on the gospel. Well, a a supporter, Trump supporter, replies and says this. We're talking about a dialogue between evangelicals. He's the most effective pro-life president. Excuse me, the most, yeah, the most effective pro-life president since the Roe v. Wade decision. He's a champion of religious liberties. He's pushing back against aggressive LGBT activism. And he's the best friend Israel's ever had. Who cares about some nasty tweets? You're missing the forest for the trees. Well, the detractor answers, 
Yeah, those are all good things, very good things. I don't minimize them, but words have the power of life and death as well, and his words have degraded us nationally. His words have opened a floodgate of hatred, of ungodliness, of, of, of ugliness, division. And it's outrageous for the president of the United States, the most powerful man on the planet, to use his office to disgrace and attack and malign and belittle others. When we stand with him, we degrade ourselves too. Well, the supporter replies, then what do we do? Sit out the 2020 election? Cast a meaningless protest vote? Just do nothing and let radical liberal become president? Not a chance. Trump's the man for me. The detractor replies, I'd rather stand on principle than compromise my convictions for the sake of political expediency. And in the end, what have we gained if the laws are changed and the courts are changed, but hearts are hardened to the gospel? Maybe we would do better if a radical liberal is elected. Maybe then we'd wake up as a church and stop putting our trust in the government and the White House. A supporter answers, oh, that's a great idea. Kind of like not treating cancer so we can see God perform a miracle. Not on my watch. So that's, that's kind of my summary. If I was trying to represent each side, why they're Christians standing with Donald Trump, why they're Christians standing against Donald Trump. And if you want to look at this more broadly, we could say, forget voting. Forget the White House. Forget Congress. Forget the courts. That's part of a world system that will never be fully righteous. What we have to do is concentrate on being the church. Or however we vote, we vote secretly. We don't tell anyone about it. We live our faith out. We don't get into controversy about presidents, about Congress, about anything else. We go about being disciples, standing up for what's right, and fighting the battles that need to be fought. So, yes, we'll get involved in the culture wars, but we won't get involved in politics. I just say, but you can't separate them. I mean, here you are. It's like a hamster in a treadmill, you know, in one of those whatever. The, what are they called? That's not a treadmill, but you know what I'm talking about. So you're running, you're getting all this exercise, but you're going nowhere. What do I mean? There are folks who've been on the front lines of the culture wars, and they say unless you get involved politically and legislatively, you're fighting a losing battle. In other words, yes, we change hearts, we change minds, we have a positive influence on the culture, but then ultimately, if the laws don't change, it just gets lost. If, if the culture doesn't change in a way where the cultural changes get legislated, it ends up getting lost. So you could change lots of hearts, but Roe v. Wade still does a tremendous amount of damage. So what do we do? Or do we just well, let the bottom fall out and then the church will wake up and you pray for revival? Okay, so you're going to tell your kids and grandkids, yeah, we decided to let the bottom fall out on you. We decided to let you get hit with the negative consequences of our actions or our inaction. We decided to let everything cave on you with the hope that you guys will finally really pray for revival. Oh, delightful. Would you do that? Would you do that with your own kids? Put them in a financial situation that's absolutely dire and hopeless, unbelievably difficult so that they'll learn to pray, and you'll do that intentionally as opposed to be a good steward, help them learn to be good stewards? So these are understandably controversial issues. And... I can understand God-fearing, Jesus-loving people coming to different conclusions about these issues. And my position has been this, that we appreciate the good the president is doing, that whether it's a vote for him against one of the current Democrat candidates, it's a clear choice we vote for him, but we don't treat him as St. Donald. We don't look to him as the Christ, 
let alone brand him the Antichrist, and that rather we understand that we have a man with certain weaknesses and shortcomings that's doing a lot of good in a lot of other ways. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. In the past, we evangelicals have been the ones shouting character counts, morality matters. We've been the ones saying that the way you live privately is very important. And that's why evangelicals were outraged over Bill Clinton's actions in the White House and why they said they couldn't vote for him in the first place because it was history. Morality matters. Character counts. We've been shouting that for decades. Integrity is important. And then President Trump, well, we need someone to fight. There are existential battles going on. We're, it's different now. Also, character doesn't count. Morality doesn't matter. So, so here's the problem. Because we've said what we've said in the past, you're on public record for that loud and clear. Some of the people that were very vocal in the, the late 90s with President Clinton are vocal again today, but they were vocal against President Clinton because of his bad character, but they don't have a problem with Trump's bad character. Others would say, you're missing the whole point. He's nasty, he does these other things, but the character that really counts, keeping promises, standing for principle, Trump's outstanding in that way. So the character that really counts, he's strong. My point is, we've got to address the things honestly. We, we, we can't just act as if there have not been these issues or that we are not being perceived as hypocritical. To me, I can make a moral Christian argument for voting for Donald Trump while also making a moral Christian argument for not defending him all the time and by taking issue with certain things he says and does. And and ultimately, listen, if I am running for office as a politician, if, if I get your vote, that's the biggest thing, right? That's what I need is your vote. So if you voted for me, let's say Mike Brown is, is running for some local congressional seat. And you say, well, uh, I'm not charismatic and I don't agree with you on Israel. And I have some other issues about your involvement in the Brownsville revival, but I believe you're the best candidate we have. So I'm going to vote for you. That's what I want in the end is the vote. Correct. So why can't evangelicals that believe that President Trump is, is the best candidate we have for president right now, there's not going to be a Republican that replaces him. So Donald Trump or someone on the Democrat side, one of them is going to be the next president, barring something that is unforeseen. Why can't we say we get our vote, but you don't get our full heart? You you get our vote, but with reservations. You get our vote, but we will at times say where we differ with you, and that's important for our integrity. What's so hard about that? In some circles, the moment you say, you're being disloyal, you're hurting the president, you're... No, I'm being loyal to the Lord, and I... And I am, I am honoring God and putting my testimony with him first and foremost. 2016, Christian Post, 2016, Christian Post had an article by the editorial team, Donald Trump is a scam. Yeah, that was the title of the editorial. Donald Trump is a scam. And then the subtitle, Evangelical Voters Should Back Away. Well, in December, when the Christian Post put out an article standing with President Trump against Christianity Today's attack on him and the voters, and really saying don't disparage the Christians who voted for Trump, Nap Nasworth, who's been a longtime editor with Christian Post, resigned. So that's a complete reversal of where we were four years ago. 
it's fair discussion to have among believers. So can we have this in-house? That's my constant appeal on radio as your host, as a moderator, as one willing to tackle the controversial issues, to say, can we have a civil conversation as believers in the midst of our differences? You enlighten me, and I enlighten you. I consider what you have to say. You consider what I have to say. You might change my opinion. I might change yours. But at least we better understand each other. Can we do that? Is that too much to ask? I think not. All right. We'll be right back. Got time to take a few calls. 866-34-TRUTH. And then I'll bring on Stephen Strang to continue the discussion. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Okay, one hour from now, so look at your clocks. One hour, actually 57 minutes from now, we will be on our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown, with our weekly live YouTube chat. Yeah, so any questions you have, you can just post them there. It's a great way for you to join in if you're unable to call maybe different parts of the world, the work schedule or family schedule. You can just post questions, and we have a wonderful live chat for 45 minutes to an hour. So that will be starting at 4.15 Eastern Standard Time, right around that time on our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown. Also, if you're in Oxnard, California, Oxnard, California, God willing, all this weekend, Friday night, Saturday, day and night, Sunday morning, three services. I'll be speaking at New Life Church there. All the details are on our website. And if you're in North Carolina, anywhere near Kannapolis, I'll be speaking tonight at The Refuge at 7 p.m. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, we're going to change subjects for a moment here. Uh, Eugene in Oklahoma, welcome to the line of fire. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Yes, sir. And I saw your uh, message you taught at um, Shane Adelman's church. It's interesting. I talk to their assistant pastors all the time, and I got excited when they mentioned you were coming to teach, and it was a good message, sir. So, uh, thank well, you thanks. for that. And as far as my question, um, I'm just um, I sh- one of the things I struggle with is, um, of course, the controversy with like some of the issues in the charismatic movement. And um, I believe you have a really, really well-balanced view on addressing issues while not neglecting the fact that the Bible teaches that the supernatural is a reality for Christians, um, not just the gifts of the Spirit, but just being able to, what you see in 1 Corinthians 12, talking about God really empowering the Christian to do things that he couldn't do in in his own strength, like as far as ministering and be able to touch the heart of believers and unbelievers as far as conviction and everything like that. And um, one of the things I I really challenge, like I struggle with, is how to maintain that type of confidence, because I often question myself as a minister when I see people like John MacArthur, who I love and dearly respect, but, you know, he's used really strong language against the things that I believe in, the things that you believe in. 
I'm just wondering, as a, um, a teacher yourself, who you're going to be held accountable by God about the things that you teach, how do you maintain like such poise and confidence regarding what you believe and like what can I do to really safeguard what I really believe is biblically correct theology regarding the the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, sir. Yeah, so uh, to me there's a simple threefold chord that is really unbreakable, and it would be the Word of God, it would be personal experience, and it would be powerful testimony. So the Word of God is so crystal clear to me on the issues of the things of the Spirit. There might be minor issues of debate. We might have valid questions about why we don't see more people healed or things like that. But the overall testimony of Scripture to me is so overwhelmingly, undeniably clear that even in the early late 70s, early 80s, when I tried to move away from charismatic Pentecostal beliefs, including speaking in tongues, being real, including prophetic gifts and healing being real, when I tried to step away from it and bought books against it and studied the Scripture against it, very much wanting to not believe these things anymore, the Word was just too clear. So even trying to get away from it, to me, it was undeniably clear in Scripture. And it's, it's no surprise to me that it's almost impossible for me to find a leading charismatic theologian, professor, teacher, someone that would be respected in their camp, or excuse me, a non-charismatic theologian, pastor, teacher, that's willing to have a public debate or friendly dialogue with me on the subject. And I know for a fact that folks in, in Pastor MacArthur's camp and Pastor MacArthur himself were, were offered this in an academic setting, uh, Society of Pentecostal Studies. Uh, that offer was sent to them, and either we got no reply or actual declines. Uh, others we've reached out to. So let's have friendly dialogue discussion. To me, if you're just going to say, what does Scripture say? It's it's done deal. It's done deal. Yes, the sir. gifts and power and of the Spirit. I, I... Can, so, so that that's the first thing. That's number one. Number two, I've experienced God in my life undeniably. I've experienced the moving of the Holy Spirit. I've, I've experienced hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. I've, I've seen God work in ways that are undeniably supernatural. And it w- I would have to be a complete fool to deny it. It would be like spitting in God's face. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is testimony, that you look at what God is doing in verifiable ways around the world, book after book, story after story, testimony after testimony, and that reinforces things. So the latest attack that comes against me, and it can sometimes be daily from cessationist friends and critics, I just feel bad for them. I, I feel like here we are swimming in, 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 a, in, in the ocean and enjoying the beauty of God's creation, and there are people saying there is no water, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So somehow in your own life, if the word is clear, then your experience in God has to deepen. So when that is so real and undeniable, and you journal it, you journal it when the Holy Spirit leads you and something comes to pass supernaturally or where the prayer for healing is supernaturally answered or where you commune with God in a supernatural way while praying in tongues. And you journal it, and then you go back to that and then uh, read things. Uh, I just went through Reinhard Bonnke's extraordinary autobiography, Living a Life of Fire. And it's just, it's incredible. It's Jesus glorifying, and it's extraordinary to read. I was really edified, especially the early stories in Randy Clark's Eyewitness to Miracles. There's just so much out there testifying in verifiable ways to what God's done. That threefold chord makes me sure beyond sure. There's not even a possibility of a question in my mind about it. 
Thank you for your response, uh, Dr. Brown. I support your ministry, and uh, you know, just for the record, as far as your view uh, on Trump, I think it's also very well balanced, sir. So, hey, you, you guys are in my prayers. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Eugene. The Lord be with you. Much appreciated. 866-34-TRUTH. So don't forget, in just a few minutes, I'll be joined by journalist, author Stephen Strang. And if you differ with his position about Donald Trump, if you think it's unwise for Christians to be associated with him, if you think it would be better that he not be in the White House, phone lines are open for you. We welcome dissenting opinions, critical calls. All right, let's go to Brian in Ohio. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hello. Um, would you give me a, a, a clear, concise, and comprehensive definition of premillennialism and how important it is to subscribe to it? Okay. Gladly. Number one, it is not an issue of salvation. In other words, we can differ over our eschatology in different ways, and unless we deny some fundamentals, unless we deny that Jesus is returning at all, like full preterists do and things like that, it's not a matter of heresy. It's a matter of a secondary issue, but one of great importance. So the premillennial view says that Jesus is coming pre, before the millennial kingdom. And the main variations of that historical premillennialism, which was widely held to by the early church leaders, namely that Jesus returns and sets up a thousand-year kingdom on the earth, or the dispensational variety, which is better known today but goes back in its full system less than 200 years, saying that there'll be two different aspects of the second coming. First, the rapture, where the believers are pulled out of the world, then intense tribulation for seven years after which Jesus returns. But both of those are pre-millennial. We get the idea of the millennial kingdom, the thousand years, from Revelation 20, which mention it six times in the passage there. We get the picture of it from passages like Isaiah 11 or Isaiah 2, which speak of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the seas which speak of all nations streaming to Jerusalem to learn from the God of Israel and beating their swords into plowshares. It will be a time when we, the believers, have been caught up to meet Jesus when he returns. So my understanding, he appears in glory for the whole world to see. We are caught up together to meet him and descend to earth with him as he destroys the wicked and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. In Zechariah 14, the survivors of the nations that attack Jerusalem will now come and then they will multiply, reproduce, etc., and they will live on this earth as God fulfills his literal kingdom promises to Israel and the nations, and the world has an opportunity to be in an environment where God is worshipped, where there's no injustice, there's no war, and yet at the end of it, many will still rebel when Satan is released. It will be the final proof that human beings are rebelling against God and all of his goodness. But for short, Jesus comes before the millennial kingdom. Our millennial view is that we are in the millennium now. It's only a spiritual kingdom. And at the end of this age, Jesus returns and we go into eternity. Post-millennial, Jesus comes after the millennium. So through the gospel, the whole world will be Christianized. And at the end of that, Jesus returns and we enter into eternity. The reason I feel it's important to hold to a premillennial view is because of the literality of the promises to Israel and the literality 
of God's word coming to pass. In other words, if we start spiritualizing all the promises to Israel or say that they no longer mean what they say, it opens up for me a dangerous hermeneutic whereby we can twist and turn the meaning of Scripture. Why couldn't someone come and say, well, we have a further revelation and do the same to the New Testament? So if I can twist and turn the meaning of the Old Testament, that which was literal and clear and definite, and make it into something spiritual or ethereal or no longer for Israel but just for everybody, then why can't I change anything else? But again, not a matter of salvation. We can differ on that warmly as brothers in the Lord. All right, got to go, Brian. If you have more questions, hopefully you can follow up on another day. God bless you, man. of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire today. I have very much been looking forward to this interview with my friend and colleague, Stephen Strang. He is author of a just-released book. Here's the title, God, Trump, and the 2020 election. You say, okay, well, Where does he stand? Well, here is the subtitle, Why He Must Win, and What's at Stake for Christians If He Loses. I've had the joy of working closely with Steve for some years now. Uh, Charisma Media has published many of my articles, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles, and quite a few of my books in recent years. And as I've worked together with Steve, I've, I've really seen his wisdom I've seen the the broad spiritual scope that he has uh, in the political scene and in the church scene, and I've seen it to be a, a real man of integrity and character. So when he writes something like this, it gets my attention. It's not a sensationalistic book. It, it's a serious read, informative read. So what I want to do is find out from, from Stephen Strang how he has he got to this point, what this book is saying, why it's so important. And if you have a question or a dissenting view, 866-34-TRUTH, we may be able to get to some calls. Steve, thanks so much for joining us uh, day after the book has been released. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Well, thank you. I've been looking forward to this, too. Great. So this is now your third book on Trump within a couple of years. Uh, just give us briefly your own journey and, and where each of these books fits in. Well, I've been a journalist for four decades. Um, I was trained at the University of Florida Journalism School. Um, and back then, the media was very liberal, uh, you know, nothing like it is now. And, uh, but it was, you know, it was good training ground. Um, I started Charisma Magazine. I'm known as a magazine guy. I got into book publishing, have published approximately 2,000 books, and then here I am, late in my career, writing books. And the reason I wrote uh, God and Donald Trump, the first one, in 2017, was I felt there was an untold story about the spiritual aspect of his election, mainly that it was prophesied by people like Kim Clement, um, uh, Chuck Pierce, and a few others. And we had really covered this in Charisma, partly because I felt that these prophecies needed to be put on the record, and, you know, a lot of times uh, 
nobody either nobody pays attention to it or after something happens some ministry will say well we prophesied that i knew we'd be ridiculed if it didn't come to pass but against all odds he became president and these uh, prophetic people were actually seeing what god was doing um and i wrote it because i felt that it needed to be put on the record and instead of us recruiting an author like we have done other times when we saw a need in the market for a book i decided to write it myself and it's opened up a lot of doors for me i've been able to be a part of the larger debate of what's going on in our country but i've been seeing this liberal uh drift in fact in uh, god trump in 2020 election i even write about some of my own experiences in the ni- late 1960s and early 1970s in the vietnam era uh, you know, it was a very troubled time in our country, and, uh, you know, the riots at the Democratic National Convention and so forth. But I believe that God raised up the Jesus movement, uh, and it, it kind of nipped that a lot of that in the bud. Now, we, of course, did not become a righteous country, but it kind of stopped it in a lot of ways. But I've seen this drift over the last 40 years, and the left, I'll call them the left, because what else do I call them? You know, the progressives, the people that are sort of anti-God. They've been getting their way again and again and again. And then, of course, we got Obama, who promised to fundamentally change America, and in a lot of ways he did. And uh, it was like people were saying enough is enough, not just Christians, uh, but a lot of middle Americans, conservative people, but Christians were just feeling like God raised something, somebody up. And it's like my friend and your friend, Mike Bickle, said, we were praying that God would raise somebody up. We didn't have anybody in mind. And he raised up Donald Trump, who's rude and crude, and uh, three marriages, and and all kinds. He uh, made his money on gambling. I mean, uh, Christians are not for gambling, and are not for multiple marriages. I mean, there's a lot not to like about his resume, but I believe he's changed. I've been able to say on national television that I believe he's accepted Christ, and kind of talk about what that means. And you know, lately there's been this controversy where some. Uh, evangelicals who I know personally, uh, who are never Trumpers, have really come out against him. And of course, the liberal media is uh, uh, so happy to find a, a conservative evangelical Christian to blast Trump. He's met all over the media. But it's also uh, open doors for me. I'm going to be on Fox and Friends uh, tomorrow morning. I just got confirmation of it 30 minutes ago at 6.50 Eastern Time, if anybody wants to tune in. And they want me to talk about this. I believe that evangelicals who tend to vote Republican uh, because we have no alternative. I tell uh, the readers that I was a Democrat for many years until uh, the Democrats just got so liberal I couldn't vote for a Democrat. And I switched over. A lot of people are in that uh, position, but I'm no fan of the Republican Party. They're part of the problem, too, because I believe that this what's happening is not really uh, political so much as it's spiritual. And that's the point I try to make in this book. There's a spiritual aspect of this, and God has raised up Donald Trump for reasons we can only try to understand. Um, and I try to make sense for the reader. I, you know, I'm a journalist, so I try to tell both sides. I'm very clear on where I stand, and I say he must win. I actually say I think he will win, but I have a whole chapter on why he might lose. And I cite eight different reasons, and the people who support Donald Trump conservatives need to not take it for granted. There are things that could happen, and part of it is because the other side is so fired up. 
they're going to turn their people out. Part of it is if there's complacency on our side, but also if the economy tanks or if there's war, a real war in Iran, uh, that could do it. And also the other side is just so corrupt, they may try to steal the election. You know, it, really anything that can happen. And this book is my attempt, 10 months before the election, to stir up the Christian community and say there is a lot at stake. We cannot be complacent. And we need to see God's hand on Donald Trump, not because he's perfect, because he isn't. But then none of us are. None of our presidents have been perfect. And it's just kind of ironic to me that these people who tend to not go to church, they don't follow the Bible, they don't even really like Christian, a lot of Christian values, yet they're so critical of Donald Trump because he's not the perfect Christian. But I do believe that God has done something in his heart. I believe he's sincere. I've had the opportunity to, to interview him. And I'm, I'm encouraged because people who are reading the book, it, it, there's something in their spirit that says, yeah, you know, this makes sense. They begin to see that what God is doing, and that was my goal. Yeah, um, and it's been quite a, a journey. The first book, God and Donald Trump, then Trump Aftershock, and friends, the new just-released book, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election. And friends, as you're listening to my friend Stephen Strang, you realize that he's informed, that he's that he's not just saying, well, the Holy Spirit seems to be telling certain people. No, this is thought through. This is considered. And I think you owe it to yourself as an American, especially if, if you're a follower of Jesus, to read this new book, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election. So, Stephen, a question for you. You've, you've had the privilege that very few of us have had to sit face-to-face with the president and do an interview with him. You saw certain things about his character. Now, we evangelicals for years have been shouting character counts, morality matters. We had big problems with Bill Clinton and all of this. Yet some of the people that oppose Clinton today are saying, well, we need a president, not a pope. And so how do we balance this out? In your view, who is Donald Trump really and where should evangelicals come down on this, this issue of character? Well, character is very important, of course, and we can't blink at some of these things. And remember with Bill Clinton, it wasn't just what he did in the White House, although that was pretty outrageous. I mean, John Kennedy, there's pretty good evidence that John Kennedy and, and Linda Mays Johnson also did that, but the press kind of turned a blind eye to it. Uh, we don't approve of what Donald Trump has done, but, you know, it was really 10 or 15 years ago. Nobody, with everything they have accused him of, uh, including uh, colluding with the Russians and everything else, nobody has accused him of doing hanky-panky in the White House uh, currently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but let's talk about what character is. Character is not the same as being pious. Uh, and one of the character traits that Donald Trump has that the other politicians don't have is he keeps his word. That is a huge character issue. Uh, there's a whole chapter in the book, Guide Trump in the 2020 Election, about promises made, promises kept. I think that is huge, and is a whole lot more important to me than if he uses uh, some a few words that, frankly, you can't turn on television without hearing it. But, I mean, it's, you know, you just wish the president didn't say that. You know, uh, I'm not going to repeat him. You know, right, right. Program, obviously, you know obviously. what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's become part of the culture, unfortunately. We need a turn back to God, um, and it's a whole lot bigger than Donald Trump. 
look how he's raised his kids. His kids have turned out great. That shows a lot of character. Uh, loyalty is important to him. That's a character trait. He seems to have a heart, uh, a soft heart toward the Lord, believe it or not. Uh, he says that religious uh, values, religious liberty, uh, things like that are important to him. That shows a character trait. And uh, the people who criticize Trump about all this stuff, even the uh, evangelicals who do it, they weren't for him anyway. They tend to vote Democratic every single time an election comes around. I mean, we have to think clearly about this. And frankly, some of the stuff they're doing um, reminds me of the Pharisees. I'd hate to call them Pharisees, but, you know, Jesus said that Pharisees were like white sepulchers full of dead men's bones. You know, they look good, but their hearts were evil. And uh, these people that are attacking him and trying to shame us, there's something called the Lincoln Project. They're trying to make us feel embarrassed that we would dare to lower ourselves to vote for someone like Donald Trump. My question is, who do they have in mind? You know, it's not like he's running against Harry Truman or, you know, Democrats of the past. Uh, he's, he's running against the most progressive, far-left, in, in two instances, uh, avowed socialists uh, who do not have great character traits either. However, their lives are not scrutinized in the same way to see if, you know, what profanity they might use. And frankly, some of them do use profanity. Or I'll whether they what, go what, to church or all these other things. All right, we've got to take a break. The new book, God, Trump, and the 2020 Elections. So what's at stake for Christians? Why is it such a big deal? We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us. Less than a half hour from now, we'll be back on YouTube. Ask KDR Brown, Ask Dr. Brown on YouTube. And that will be our weekly YouTube Q&A chat. So questions you have, comments, we'll be interacting in real time on YouTube. That's Ask Dr. Brown starting 4.15 Eastern Standard Time. My guest, friend and colleague, Stephen Strang, his new book, God, Trump, and the 2020 elections, emphasizing why he must win and what's at stake for, for Christians. Again, Steve, because I have a history with you, because I've seen you, you're very balanced and, and careful to think things through and not just blurt out positions. That, that's a very strong subtitle, Why He Must Win, What's at Stake for Christians. So I, I want you to speak from your heart based on the research you've done, all the interviews you've conducted, and, and just make your case to our viewers and our listeners. Well, I have a section in the book of actually talking points of what people can say um, you know, to friends and family who may be Democrats or don't like Trump. And basically, it's just the facts. The other side is almost like a derangement syndrome. You know, it's, it's hard for them even to accept facts. But let me jump to something else, if I could. We have known each other a long time, and um, I was listening to the announcer describing all of these things you've done. They need, they need to add 
brainiac to the list because you're like one of the smartest people I know. And uh, I've actually interviewed you several times, and, and you're, you have a fairly prominent uh, profile in the book in two different places. One is that I quote your book. Uh, I take a couple of pages to quote, Donald Trump is not my savior. I thought that was a very interesting book. It was interesting to see your own evolution in kind of real time as you did your, uh, I guess you'll call it a blog or maybe an op-ed. Um, and I kind of hated that I couldn't publish it. I wanted to, but it, was, it came out like right about oh, the was, same time as my book on Trump. And, and it was so short it notice. Kind of it was very short notice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was also very short notice. And then the other book, uh, which I did publish, called Jezebel's War with America, I have a whole section on the understanding the spiritual aspect or the spiritual dimension, and there's one chapter called Spiritual Warfare in Donald Trump, and you had great points in that book. In fact, the book was just coming out as I was kind of finishing up the book, and there's uh, several points, especially about witchcraft and some of the things that, uh, that you said about what's happening, because, you know, this is really a spiritual war. To me, the only way that you can explain the absolute hatred of Donald Trump is through spiritual warfare. We we all sort of, if if you're a kind of a spirit-filled Christian or Bible-believing Christian, you sort of know that there's a spiritual warfare. But I mean, we're seeing it playing played out in front of our um, eyes. And, and you know, I'm telling you something, of course, that you know. But I appreciated being able to use this information. I really thought that it added something to the book, and it wasn't just me giving opinion, but um, Quoting somebody who I've said is, as far as I'm concerned, you're one of the smartest people I know. Well, thank thank you for the kind words and for your information. You sent me an advance copy of of this book, God Trump in the 2020 Elections, and I gave it to a very passionate Never Trumper. And they started reading it. Still, very interesting. So, uh, I, you, you're you're able to reach folks that really have major issues with Donald Trump because you lay things out in, in a reasoned way. So in your view... Well, I had issues with Donald Trump, I think, like you did. Yeah. Um, you know, we both supported Ted Cruz, and as I I didn't really know who Donald Trump was, you know, there were huge question marks about him. But uh, when it come, came down to him or Hillary Clinton, we didn't have any questions about Hillary. We knew what she would do, and... We had to, of course, take our chances, and I think that he's exceeded expectations, and that's why I think that he deserves the second term. You know, the economy's booming. He's he's uh, uh, improving our trade relations in a lot of ways that I think is very healthy. Uh, he's supporting Israel. He's putting the right kind of judges on the bench. The kind of things that conservatives uh, really want, and then on the spiritual things, you know, religious liberty and some of those issues, he has become a great champion of ours. He has genuine affection for evangelicals. I have a chapter in there on evangelicals, Washington before Trump, and Doug Weed, my longtime friend, and some other sources, tell me these stories, which some of which haven't been told, or at least not widely told, about how the Republicans say one thing at election time, and they really kind of despise evangelicals and kind of don't even want to be identified with us, which I think is, is rank hypocrisy. But there's also, there's a lot of surprises in the book, like uh, the story about there being a prophecy that Ronald Reagan, uh, when he was governor of California, that he would one day sit in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And Pat Boone is the only one in this little 
circle of eight people who prayed there at the governor's mansion in California. He's the only one still living, and he he gave me a lot of details about it. It was very interesting, and when he congratulated Reagan the night he was elected, he asked him if he remembered that prophecy, and um, Ronald Reagan said that he had thought of it many, many times. And there's just little stories. Another story about Ronald Reagan is that he had ulcers so bad when he was governor, he actually prayed, God, either heal me or kill me, because I can't stand this pain. He threw away his medicine and never took it again. Doug Weed told me that story, but we mm. were able to verify it uh, in a letter that he wrote to his own father-in-law when his father-in-law was near death, and he was kind of witnessing to him, actually. So, I mean, there's a lot of inside stuff that you aren't going to necessarily find anywhere else. I didn't want it just to be the same old, same old. It is not a repeat of my first two books. And I wrote it 10 months before the election because I think things are, there's a lot at stake. And Christians tend to be kind of passive and and compliant and think my vote doesn't count. It does count. And we need to not only vote, but we need to pray. We need to be active. We need to encourage our friends. And I hope that people will buy it. We're getting good um, reviews and and. Uh, the early indicators are very, very strong, but I didn't do this just as a publishing project. I did it because I feel passionately about it, and this was my way to try to be a part of the debate. And it, as I said, it has opened some uh, doors for me to, um, you know, to talk about it and to, um, uh, you know, try to make the case for why Donald Trump has to be president. Yeah, and and uh, pray that that God will bless the time on Fox and Friends, and that that many more uh, doors will open in the secular world. And, and it, it is interesting, and it's worth remembering that evangelicals helped get Donald, uh, excuse me, Ronald Reagan elected, played a major, major role in that. And yet, the relationships that they had with Reagan before election and after changed dramatically. In other words, once the Washington system clicked in, it put all these walls around him and basically cut him off from many of the people that helped get him in office. I heard that directly from someone that was involved back then, whereas, well, again, with Donald with Trump. George H.W. Bush, and yeah. to some extent, George W. Bush. And, you know, this is what I go into that chapter. And, you know, we have to have our eyes open wide. And to see that this president is open to Christian things, shares our interest in things like Israel, um, that is huge to Christian people. Uh, it is very pro-life, even though at one time he was uh, pro-abortion, you know, earlier in his life, which is one of the reasons we didn't really know what he would do. We didn't know how sincere he was, but he has surprised at every level. I personally think that he's going to win. Uh, Kim Clement and a couple other people way back when uh, actually promised, uh, prophesied that he'd be in for two terms. But it's like you say, we just can't sit around and quote prophecies. We have to work. And, uh, you know, Kim Clement said that God, um, that Trump was going to be a trumpet and that Bill Gates would be a gate of financial blessing to, ch- to the church. Well, the one about Gates has not come to pass, but the one about Trump being a trumpet, um, in a figurative sense, has come to pass. And we can hope that the other comes to pass as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one other thing I, I just want to express appreciation for is that one of the the issues that we have, it's one of the books that, that you published of mine, Playing with Holy Fire, is unaccountable prophecies in the body and uh, miracle claims that are not documented. 
But as we've walked together, uh, sometimes I may reference something in a book, and then one of the editors will say, well, we need that documented. If it's a healing claim, we, we actually need that documented. Otherwise, we don't report it. So I like the fact that beforehand, you drew attention to these prophecies to either say, if this is God, then let's learn from it. Why is the Lord speaking this in advance? And if it's not God, then let's have accountability for it. So I commend you for that as well, and I appreciate you doing that. Well, thank you. That's part of my journalistic background. You know, journalists are supposed to do that. It's done less and less, especially with the way that most of the journalists are so left-leaning. But my feeling, if it is true, you can document it. And um, we did the same. Those same editors did it with my book, and um, I think that's very important. And also, we, you know, one of the things that the press does in this country, at least up until this president, is they were kind of a check and balance on the politicians, but the idea if the politicians did something bad, it'd be the press who revealed it. And, and to some extent, that's true. We would not know about the pallets full of, of cash that was delivered by the Obama administration to Iran if it weren't for the Washington Post. And in the church, there isn't that. There's a lot of kind of Lone Ranger preachers, yep. and I, I don't want to get started on this, but nobody holds them accountable we do to some extent, but, you know, our, our, experience, our influence is limited, and also it almost seems like in church circles people want to have wishful thinking and yeah, and we've got are a, concerned we've got about a, those kind of things. We've got to press back to reality because reality is what matters. Friends, get the book, God, Trump, and the 2020 election. Steve, let's, let's touch base again in a few months and continue the dialogue here. God bless I would you, love man. it. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. You bet.